Welcome to episode 101 of Frank Reactions, the podcast where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. Last episode, I played the first of the interviews that I recorded during my trip to South Africa. That one was with Nomi Bodlani of the investment management firm Alan Gray. And I thought I'd be playing another of the South Africa series today. But given the United Airlines fiasco that's unfolded over the last several days since they dragged a doctor off a plane and then totally blew their CEO's first reactions to it, I'm going to play an interview that I recorded in the middle of all that with Dan Gingas, who is the author of the book Social Media Customer Service something that perhaps uh, the United Airlines uh, CEO should have read before he answered. In the interview, we do talk about what happened at United, and I've also written a couple of articles about it, which you might find interesting, and you can find those at frankreactions.com and on LinkedIn, possibly on Medium as well. Anyway, as I said, Dan Gingas is uh, a social media customer service expert. And in today's interview, we talk about things like not just why social media is increasingly being used as a channel for customer care, but how you can use that for your benefit as a company and how to choose technology to help handle your customer service on social and avoid problems like staff who give inconsistent responses to customers when they're handling help requests. Another thing we discuss are the differences between who you need to hire for social care versus regular customer service, and how brands can use humor safely or relatively safely when dealing with customers on social media. Before we get into that, though, just a couple of other quick upcoming events that I wanted to mention. In Edmonton on Friday, May 5th, I will be one of the panelists on a panel called Igniting Customer Interaction, and that is starting at 6 p.m. at the Art Gallery of Alberta on May 5th, and I'll be sharing the stage, among others, with the highly respected Bruce Kirkland, who's the principal of Lexus of Edmonton a very generous man and company. And in fact, they're actually sponsoring that event as well. But they really understand the whole customer service and customer experience thing. I realize Friday evening is sort of an odd time for a business event. But the group that's putting this one on really knows how to throw a good party. These aren't your normal panel boring talk things. So I would suggest you head over to Eventbrite if you're going to be in Edmonton on May 5th and search for Igniting Customer Interaction. Then a few days later is the B2B online conference in Chicago, May 8th to 10th. And my listeners get a 25% discount if they use the code B2B17TF, as in Tama Frank. So all capitalized and the numbers are written as numbers, not words. So B2B17TF for the B2B online conference in Chicago. The week after that, I'm headed down to Phoenix, Arizona, where I will be doing a session at the Customer Experience Professionals Association Insight Exchange on May 15th to 17th. And I am confident that the weather, even here in Edmonton, will be better by then. But I have to say, it's sounding awfully tempting right now because I am looking out my window on today, April 18th, and watching snow fall. So that was May 15th to 17th in Phoenix CXPA Insight Exchange. Check it out. I would love to see you there. 
And two weeks later, I will be flying to Toronto, where I will be giving a presentation at the Marketing Research and Intelligence Association Annual Conference, which takes place May 31st to June 2nd. And one more event, don't know how I could have forgotten to mention this one since I am one of the principal organizers of it. Again, if you are in Edmonton, there's an absolutely amazing event called the Key Communicators Luncheon, which is happening on Friday, May 12th, which is the Friday heading into the Mother's Day weekend. And at that event, we have 11 really high-profile women in Edmonton, like uh, former Prime Minister Kim Campbell, like Dr. Verna Yu, who's the head of Alberta Health Services, like Jackie Ford, who's the CEO of the YWCA in Edmonton. Really, really impressive group of people. And what's so cool about this event is when you register, you actually get to pick your top three choices for which of those amazing women you would like to sit at a round table and have lunch with. So you actually get to chat with them. It's not just a panel. Tickets for that are going really quickly. So I would suggest if you are interested in that, again, go to Eventbrite and search Key Communicators Luncheon. All right, now on to today's show. Well, hey, I'm uh, Dan Gingis, and uh, I'm an author, podcaster, and speaker on one of my favorite topics, which is social media customer service. And how did you become a social media customer service person? Well, I actually am a marketer by career choice, and when social media came onto the scene, uh, I thought it was really an interesting marketing option, but what really stuck out to me was that different from any other channel, this was one where people could talk back. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of led to this opportunity to engage with people and service them when needed. And I thought that was much more interesting to me than just another marketing channel where people can, uh, you know, grab their megaphones and shout messages at, at unwitting consumers. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I found interesting, actually, in reading your book was you're pointing out that, of course, normally people who are in customer service, customer care, spend their day getting nothing but negative comments. And one of the fun things about social media is they can potentially have a chance to interact with some happy people as well. So there's sort of an employee benefit spinoff there. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, how many times do you think a call center representative answers the telephone and the person on the other line is calling just to say that the company is doing a great job? Never. Almost (laughs) never, right? But yet, when people have great experiences, especially unexpectedly great experiences um, with brands, they are very willing to go onto social media and share those. And what strikes me as odd is that there's still way too many brands that don't use that as an engagement opportunity when you've got somebody voluntarily singing your praises out in public um, you know that's uh, that's gold so what do you think is stopping companies from getting involved in such conversations i think it's a couple of things um, the first is that it feels like it's going to be additional cost and certainly when people start up it is additional cost because you know there's no question that a lot of people come to social media as a channel of last resort. And that is because some other channel has failed them, right? They called and and were on hold for two hours or they emailed and they never got an answer. So now they're really angry and they they come online. Um, But what's happened is that 
as customers are experiencing social media customer service, they're realizing this is the easiest channel in which to deal with a brand, and so they're converting it to a channel of first resort. Yeah. Now, when that happens, it's actually cheaper than servicing people on the telephone, and so if can companies... I can I just stop you there though because I of hear course. that I hear that all the time, but one thing that occurs to me is is it cheaper because at the moment the more complex stuff is the stuff that's dealt with by the phone. Uh, sometimes I think a lot of the reasons why it's cheaper is that um, is that agents can handle more cases per hour, say, than they can on the telephone. Um, and I think that is because you're absolutely right that there's a mix of questions. Um, there's no there's no question, though, on Facebook, for example, there's some very complex questions because people can write as much as they want, right? Whereas yes. on, on Twitter, they tend to be simpler questions. And so uh, Twitter did some research themselves on, on this topic, and what they found was that uh, responding on Twitter could be uh, as low as one-sixth of the cost of a phone call. Now, in my own experience, that seems aggressive, um, <laughs> but I have seen it uh, around a half of the cost of a, a telephone call, which is still fantastic. And how does it compare to the cost of handling something through a company's website? Or by yeah, something like a click to chat or email. I mean, email tends to be somewhere in the middle because you still have fairly lengthy questions and answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think one of the things that's difficult about email is although it doesn't have to take that long to respond, it can take a long time to res- to resolve because there's so much back and forth and, and you know people yeah. aren't on email live, right? So it might be days before somebody gets back to you. Um, I think that click to chat is a much better comparison, and especially as in social media, we're seeing a movement toward messaging apps, mm-hmm. and in particular for customer service. Now you get to a spot where, where companies are comfortable because they've done this before. They've done click to chat on their website, and, and if you can do that well, you can do Facebook Messenger well. Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked at, I, I mean, I, I was at a conference maybe three, four years ago, where they demoed, and I can't remember which company it was, but it was in Europe, using video chat. And and everyone seemed to feel that that would be the next big thing. And certainly it's a great way to form that relationship with the customers, but I would imagine it's pretty expensive. Have you come across that anywhere? Like, I just haven't seen it taking off. I've seen some small businesses doing it. And I think it's easier for them to do it. So, um, for example, I interviewed uh, the CEO of Iographer on my podcast. And Iographer is a company that makes all sorts of equipment to uh, that you can add on to your iPhone or um, or iPad to shoot video and, uh, and and pictures in just a more professional way. And he tells a great story about a customer that approached him on Snapchat. And um, he was, you know, kept saying that the product didn't work and, and he couldn't figure it out. And as soon as the user sent him, uh, I don't know if it was a, a snap of a, you know, a, a static one or a video, uh, but it was an image in any event. Uh, and as soon as he sent that picture over, the CEO realized that he had two cords that were plugged into the wrong port. They were worse, <laughs> right? And that would have been a hard thing to figure out over social media, even over the telephone. But as soon as he saw the picture, he was able to solve the problem immediately. The trouble is two things. Number one, 
as you pointed out, it's very difficult to scale because yeah. it can be more expensive. The other thing, though, is that um, I found at bigger companies that the customer service agents are not willing to go on video. And um, that tends to be more of a privacy kind of safety security concern that they don't they don't really want to be, <laughs> you know, picked out of a lineup later. Um, and, and there's been there's been examples that I've heard of even even uh, agents signing their name on Twitter posts, uh, you know, some people can take if you have a particularly unique name like you do, yeah. uh, and, you know, you combine that with a company, next thing you know, yeah. we might be able to find you on LinkedIn, we might be able to find you on Facebook, and, and so I think there's a, a fear there. We've got to figure out a way to overcome that because video could be really, really powerful for customer service. Mm-hmm. So in a typical call center, how many calls are agents handling at one time? I mean, not with telephone, obviously, it's one. Yeah, typically, typically one. With, right, uh, but the live chat, let's say. Yeah, with live chat, I think that agents can, can do, I would say probably three every once in a while, maybe four, depending on the speed of the um, customer responding. Right. So if it's an instant back and forth and it's a little harder to multitask, um, but you've I, everybody's been on a website chat before where you you know when you think you're talking to somebody and you're the only one they're talking to and and then you type something and you're like sitting there you know tapping your fingers waiting for where are they where are they yeah. uh, or or they have a little thing that says that the agent is typing right which is probably they they pressed one key so that it says that yeah um, but I think you know they can do upwards I think ideal is is around three at a time and and clearly that is uh, that is a lot more efficient than a telephone call. Now, how would that compare to agents who are handling social media customer care? Well, in a typical scenario with Twitter or Facebook, I think they are doing it one at a time in a in kind of a queue format. What's nice about social, though, is that you can prioritize that queue in different ways. So um, the technology that's available allows you to prioritize based on follower count or VIPs. If you've identified somebody that's part of your loyalty program or whatever it is, you can bring them up to the top of the queue. Um, in in messaging apps, that is a lot more similar than to click to chat, where I think you can do multiple at once. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your talk about responding differently to loyalty customers, I can't help but comment on the United Airlines fiasco <laughs> with uh, dragging a customer out of the plane. you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually wrote a blog post about that this morning. I couldn't help myself either. Uh, and you know what's fascinating to me about that incident is that just about a year and a half ago, I wrote a blog post about how amazing United Airlines customer <laughs> service was in um, in the middle of a crisis. So uh, late 2015, they had a, a system-wide outage for several hours, and they had tens of thousands of people stranded at the airport, and people were going nuts. And they did such an amazing job getting out ahead of the problem. They proactively tweeted and posted on Facebook saying, we're having this problem. They proactively told people, don't worry, we will reschedule you. There won't be any fees. We'll take care of it. You know, they, they calmed people down. And they even put a very senior executive on a video, a 42-second video, explaining what happened, uh, what people could do to rebook, and then apologizing in what I thought was a very empathetic, genuine way. You compare that to what happened with the man being dragged out of the plane or even 
two weeks before that with the, uh, the women being denied entry for the leggings. And what you saw in the responses were a very mechanical, um, not empathetic yeah. responses that sort of hid behind you know, seemingly archaic policy, um, contains no apology, um, and really sort of lacked this sense of caring. So, it, so what do you think was, has changed there? What's happened? It's a really good question, and and I will tell you it was surprising to me, again, because I've seen United do, and I personally interacted with United and, and had uh, really good experiences with them. I think what may be happening is, um, you know, first of all, that the volumes that some of these companies are getting to be really, really high, especially yes. in the airlines. I mean, they are fielding thousands and thousands of things every day, mm-hmm. and that means that they're going to ha- that they're hiring more and more and more people, which probably means that the quality of the of the employee pool is not maybe as high as it was at the beginning. And I think that's one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece, though, and and I talk about this in my book because I think this is to me one of the most fascinating parts of what's going on in social media right now. It is that offline experiences are coming online mm-hmm. at an at an alarming rate. And so if you think about both the leggings and the uh, the man in the plane, those are not digital experiences, right? Those are offline, in real life, IRL experiences. And yet they both came online and became major PR crises. So the yeah. answer, in my opinion, is that companies have to focus a lot more on that offline experience to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. Yeah. So in both of those cases... If the if the United employees were empowered to say, you know what, this is kind of ridiculous. I need to put a stop to this. Mm-hmm. Then the event doesn't even happen in the first place, let alone become a social media nightmare. Absolutely. So you talk in your book a little bit about the type of hiring and training that's required to get the right kind of people doing social care. Can you talk a little bit about how they need to be different from traditional customer care people? Absolutely. Well, the first question that that always comes up is, should we hire somebody who's great at customer service or who's great at social media? And to me, that's a funny question because the answer should be obvious. You want to focus on the customer service part because that's so hard to teach, right? It's really difficult to teach people to be empathetic or to, you know, listen carefully, to not overreact, remain calm, all this sort of thing. Um, but it's pretty easy to teach someone how to use Twitter or Facebook or, or whatever it is. And so I think that's the, um, that's the immediate first thing. The biggest difference, though, with a social care agent is you have to find people that are good writers. Um, yeah. They have to have good spelling and grammar because they're representing your brand. And when you see responses from the brand handle that have spelling errors, that's a bad reflection on the brand. So I think that's a key component. And then I think you would add for Twitter – um, you know, my, I remember my old grade school English teacher telling me to write tight, right? And, and that was about not using superfluous words. And in Twitter, you, you obviously have to write tight because you only have 140 characters. And that is a skill in and of itself yeah. uh, that I think companies need to look for. So, you know, and, and, and the last thing I would say is that some of those key customer service um, you know, things that, that you look for in, that, in an agent – um, like being able to remain calm, you know, like being empathetic, I think everything gets exacerbated on social media. And so if you have somebody that responds in a hurry or in a huff 
to somebody that's been rude on social media, you're going to, you know, ignite a firestorm. And, and again, I mean, I don't know that that's, I don't think that's what happened in this latest United incident, but you definitely see some brands respond to people and you can kind of tell the person behind the keyboard is angry. And and that is not something that you want to come out. Yeah, for sure. One of the other things that I thought you pointed out in the book that was kind of interesting was, you know, when we think about social customer care and responding to comments made by customers, we think about Twitter and Facebook, and it's easy to forget about things like reviews on, I mean, hotels obviously pay attention to Yelp and TripAdvisor and stuff, but product manufacturers or sellers may not think of things like I, Amazon reviews or iTunes reviews. I thought that was a really interesting point. There's this explosion of different places almost that they need to monitor. So how do you how do you keep up with all the different places and the different tools? I mean, people are now going to Snapchat for customer care, and it's like every few months there's something new that needs to be mastered. How do companies deal with that? Well, it's a great question or a couple of questions, I think, in one. The, the ratings and reviews piece is, I would say, separate but related to social customer care in that it's another place where customers can go to provide feedback, whether you want the feedback or not. And so I think, you know, at the at the initial level, you want to treat it like you treat social media, which is, you know, hey, if people are talking about our brand we should be part of that conversation because then we have the ability to frame the conversation. Um, unfortunately, with ratings and review sites, not all sites allow brands to participate. So, you know, there are you, you kind of have to check the rules with each site to see whether you even have the ability to respond. And then some ratings and review sites, for example, allow anonymity. So it's really difficult to handle a specific case if you really don't know that, that it's a real person or who the person is, et cetera. And so there, there is some complexity there. But I absolutely think that brands should be monitoring those and responding where they can. And even the monitoring part, much like monitoring the rest of the web or the rest of social media, gives you really great insights into what's working and what's not working in your business. And, um, you know, I, I, I I cite a couple of examples that uh, that are in the book and also from podcast episodes where companies have either, you know, fixed the underlying problem that was causing all of these customer service inquiries to surface in social media, mm-hmm. or they kind of went the other way and they said, hey, you know, so many people are talking about this in social media. What if we built a product around this or what if we improved our service around this? My favorite one there is about Otterbox. Which is the uh, you know cell phone case manufacturer? Sure. Yeah. They were hearing a lot of discussion in social media about people bringing their phones into the shower because they wanted to listen to music, uh, and and that caused them to develop their very first waterproof case, uh, which you know I thought was a, a brilliant answer. So uh, lots that you can do even just by listening in these different channels uh, to hear what people are talking about in terms of your products and services. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of benefit. You uh, raised the issue in there as well about how do you deal with a customer who's being a little sarcastic, but also maybe playful? How do you train your reps to respond in kind without stepping out of bounds? 
Yeah, that's a really tough one because, you know, just like with humor, you know, everybody finds something a little, you know, everybody has a different sense of humor, right? I might find something that's really funny and you may not think that it's funny. And so there's a fine line there. What I've uh, done in previous roles is we've instructed our agents to, um, when appropriate, try to mirror back the tone of the person who is writing. Now, if they're being a jerk, it's not appropriate to be a jerk. But if they're being humorous or playful, then it's okay to be humorous or playful back. Um, And even, you know, a little drop of sarcasm is okay if it was started by the customer. Um, You know, there's there are some brands out there that have been making the news for being incredibly sarcastic back to people um, when maybe they didn't ask for it. And I think that is a little um, that's a little discomforting at, at times. But uh, one of my favorite examples that I share in the book about when I worked at Discover Card is there was a guy that wrote to us on Twitter, and um, he was a little bit sarcastic. He said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, I, I went away for five days and came back and found, you know, three different pieces of mail from you in my mailbox. You know, can't you take the hint? You know, you know, or, or, or you guys are lack of coordination or something like that. Yeah. And uh, and our agent responded in what I thought was a brilliant way. She wrote back in the first sentence. She said, "Is wow, we must really want you as a customer." <laughs> and I was like, "That now, see, that was fun. That was playful. It was a yeah. little bit witty, kind of like you know, like he was." And then importantly, she immediately pivoted to how to solve the problem. She said, "You know, DM us your name and address, and we'll take you off the list immediately." What was amazing was that this guy then wrote back. And said, "Okay, I'll bite just because of your hashtag great service." And he became Discover's newest customer. So here's a guy that you know started by being frustrated at too much direct mail, and then you know was turned into a customer and a public advocate. So that happens all the time. Um, yeah. There's another great example from um, Spotify, the the music player. And one of the things that they do that is really really cool is they integrate their product into their responses. So. When you tweet at Spotify, um, I don't think this happens every time, but many times what they'll do is they will respond back with a link to a Spotify playlist. And when you read the playlist titles, the song titles from top to bottom, it actually spells out the answer to your question, which is really, really clever. So I think you can have some fun with people uh, as long as you are... Um, perceptive enough to kind of understand where the customer is at the beginning. And that's what we teach phone agents too, right? I mean, like, you know, if somebody's calling up and they're really hot under the collar, you might have to treat them with kid gloves. Uh, If somebody calls up and asks you about the weather and wants to chat, then feel free to chat. So I think that happens in social as well. Yeah. So despite the fact that people like you and I have been saying for years that companies need to take this stuff more seriously. It seems that an awful lot of them still aren't. Why do you think that is? That is the most perplexing question to me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really not entirely sure at this point. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, asking, um, you know, why would a company in today's day and age not have a website? I mean, it's just yeah, it's like, like yeah. so I do think that there there's a few reasons that I can at least hypothesize. Um, you know, the first is, is that a lot of companies are afraid of negative feedback. They just they don't want to hear it. Right. And they feel like, well, if we if we open up the floodgates and allow people to comment, then they're going to complain. Well, 
The answer is yes, they are going to complain, but as we talked about before, you should be looking at this as an opportunity both to learn about what's wrong with your product or service so you can fix it, but also to engage with people who um, have not just up and left to your competitor. They've actually taken the time out of their day to comment to you, which means that they care about your brand. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a retention play as well. So I think one reason is they're just, they just don't want the negative feedback. Um, another reason is I, I do think that there is, a, for large companies, there is this fear of how to scale. And because, you know, when you get to some of the largest brands in the world, you know, you can be talking about millions of incoming messages every month. And these are not messages that used to be on the telephone, right? Because they don't get that many telephone calls. And so it, it does become an investment decision that I think, frankly, gets compared against other investment decisions. Um, and, and I would argue that it is still a really important one because, again, if you're getting millions of, uh, of references to your brand on, on Twitter or Facebook every month, that means you've got a lot of people that love your brand and that want to engage. And there is, you know, one of the things that brands can provide to their customers that is so uh, easy and almost, almost free is this social currency that comes along with having a brand call you out on social media. So, mm-hmm. you know, when some giant brand mentions my name, that makes me feel good. And that makes me feel like they appreciate my business and they appreciate that I'm a customer. And man, does that make me loyal to that company. And so I think that over time, we're going to get better at evaluating the ROI of this stuff and being able to put some numbers to it so that it does get, you know, it does compare more favorably to perhaps other investment decisions. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about advice for choosing software to handle social customer care? I mean, you talked in the book about things that I hadn't heard the term collision avoidance, for instance, before. Can you talk about what that means and some of the other things you need to think about in choosing your software? Sure. Well, collision avoidance basically has to do with as you get uh, bigger and you have multiple agents working in social media at the same time, you want to make sure that they're not working on the same tweet, right? Because then you have, as as a customer, you have a pretty bad experience where you might get two tweets back from the same brand, you know, and even worse, they could be saying different things. Uh, So that's really what collision avoidance is about. But, you know, the technology is getting really, really good in this space. The best technology platforms um, are going to allow you to do some of the prioritizing that I mentioned before in terms of queuing up questions. They're going to allow you to listen in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, lots of brands have are, are listening for uh, references to their brand, even if they're not at mentioned. Uh, you should be listening for spelling errors of your brand name, etc. Um, and you know, the, the best platforms can allow you to do that. The other thing that they can do is um, integrate back into your CRM system so that as you have multiple conversations with a a customer on social media, they don't have to start over every time. And, you know, you've you've probably heard one of the number one complaints that people have about customer service is I hate repeating my situation to multiple people. And I think that platforms and social allow that um, issue to go away, which is really nice for the customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So overall, I mean, we know that younger people in particular are hesitant to pick up telephones. Do you think that t- 
telephone-based customer service is going to become pretty much a thing of the past? Not for a while. Um, I think that, you know, on both sides of the coin, you still have young people that understand when it's necessary to call, and you still have older people that understand the benefits of going to social. So um, I've seen both of those. I think that eventually, eventually, yes, I think telephone probably is going to eventually die out as a, as a service channel. But I think we're a long way from that. And some of that just has to do with, first of all, there are some issues that are so complex, people just don't want to type out the questions. Yeah. Right? It's just too many details, uh, you know, so they, that's one case. There's also definitely cases where people just want to talk to a human being. And, <laughs> and that is, you know, there's sort of that innate desire to talk with a human. Now, as we talked before about introducing video, maybe you can still do that in, in, in a different way than we have to do it today on the phone. But I think those are some of the things that are uh, keeping the telephone alive. And I'll tell you what, what I've seen in a, a lot of brands is that the advent of social has not necessarily drastically decreased phone calls. Uh, and, and that suggests, um, which is something that I believe, that the customer service pie is expanding. That because the world now has more opportunities for consumers to contact brands, they're taking advantage of that. And, and brands as a whole are seeing more customer service, you know, not a shift. Over some time, I do expect that shift to happen where people will come to the phone probably less often and will go to social more often, particularly when the experience is better in social. But that's a really good point about the increasing pie, basically, that customers are interacting more because they can, which, you know, I almost wonder then, does that mean you need to shift budget from marketing to customer care? Yes, I think that does have to happen. And and the really smart brands are realizing that customer care is a form of marketing, in particular in social media, because it's all done in public. Yes. So you are servicing not just the customer that is talking to you, but you are servicing you know, everybody else that's that's watching that conversation. And if you notice, again, not to go back and pick on United one more time, but um, <laughs> one of the things that caused that situation to blow up was people observing United's responses to other yeah. people. And yeah. so that's that's sort of the lesson that brands should take away is that you may think that you're starting a tweet out you know, with somebody's handle and that really that's the only person that's going to look at it and ah. you'd, be, you'd be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, and, and you know, and the thing about social, again, different from other channels is it's permanent. It is searchable. So just go look up United and Leggings on Twitter and, you know, <laughs> have some fun reading, right? So it, it, that isn't true of other channels, which is why that it, it does have to be treated differently. But these examples of people who you know, when the service is done right, and you can even turn detractors into advocates, that is marketing, right? I mean, the goal of marketing is to create brand advocacy, and in some cases, like the Discover example, to actually, you know, create sales. So I do think that over time, some of the funding for marketing can and will shift, especially because if you look at some of the reports out, the you know the amount of money that companies are spending on marketing compared to services is laughable. It's it's so many times so many times more on the marketing side. Yeah, which is kind of crazy, and you see that over and over again. They focus totally on customer acquisition rather than retention. Exactly, and then a lot of companies have a leaky bucket, and uh, and and 
because the uh, the the switching costs in so many industries now are low, uh, and, and companies are making it easier. I mean, all the cell phone companies are offering a you know pay off the balance of your contract and all that sort of stuff. They're they're making it easy enough to switch, um, and you know I think that what's happening also is that not many industries can compete on price anymore because price yes. gets down. At some point it gets down to zero and nobody makes any money. And so you have to compete on the experience. And, you know, what we used to call customer retention, uh, which really meant, you know, stopping them from walking out the door, I think is really about customer engagement. And it means, you know, keeping them happy and, and confirming to themselves that they made the right decision to choose our brand. Hmm, that's a really good point. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we're pretty much out of time. Is there anything that you wish I'd asked you and I haven't? No, I thought you did a great job. Uh, This was a fun discussion. This has been a pretty long episode, so I'm not going to do a big summary here. But I did want to get you thinking about the reality that there's this growing merger and blend between marketing, customer service, and sales. All of those budgets and all of those activities really cannot be seen as totally separate things anymore. So if your organization hasn't started figuring out how to meld those, it really is time that you do so. That's all for today. I would love to get your feedback as always. You can reach me at tema at frankreactions.com. So that's T-E-M as in marketing A at frankreactions.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. There is a Frank Reactions Facebook page, Tema Frank on Twitter, and of course, at some of those events that I was talking about. If you'd like me to come speak at an event that you will be participating in or organizing, please just contact our office. Again, you can just email me directly, Tema, T-E-M-A, at frankreactions.com. Chat with you again in a couple of weeks. Bye. (music) Bye.